Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back. Thanks to everyone for listening and making a commitment to your learning. We hope that you are doing well. Uh, We're your hosts. I am Yvonne Brandenburg, and I'm joined by the intelligent, impeccable, and interesting Jordan Porter. Aw, I like that you threw intelligent in there. I was like, oh, sweet. I get to use that word. (laughs) Some days I have imposter syndrome, like hardcore. I'll say something like really smart. Like I'll hear myself on like when I'm editing podcasts and I was like, how? Like, and then, or people will think that I'm smart. And then I'm like, I'm really good at research. (laughs) I know know people say that at work. They're like, you're just so smart. You have all the answers. And I'm like, no, I just know where to find answers. Like, (laughs) Sometimes I'm just like, oh, there's this thing in the back of my head that I'm thinking of. So I'm going to either look in a book or Google or I like, Mm -hmm. I know where to find the answers. I do. This brain does not contain all this information because I listen back to Mm -hmm. some of the episodes and I'm like, oh. I don't, I don't remember that. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. I listen back and I like hear how I pronounce some words and I'm like, why do I sound so stupid? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny because I go, why do I sound so snooty? <laughs> <laughs> and then I have this, like, I have this wonderful disorder. It's called OCD and it makes me obsessively mm. research things. <laughs> like, so it's like, <laughs> Well, I'm glad we can use your OCD to our advantage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely helpful for the podcast. Oh, God. I'm sorry. (laughs) My mental disorder is just beneficial. Oh, God. I can just see, like, if you have a therapist that talks about it, they're like, well, do you think you really should be doing that for the podcast? Uh, Let's let's not do it. And you're like, no. I know. They're like, (laughs) they're all like how much time do you spend researching this stuff? And I'm like, hours, hours. And then they're like, do you ever get like sidetracked? And I was like, you should listen to my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, yeah, yeah, I do. Uh (laughs) All the random stuff that I say in the podcast, I will obsessively research off the podcast. (laughs) Like. Oh God. Okay. Now I'm like feeling like I'm contributing to your mental mental unhealthiness. No, that's cool. (laughs) That's cool. You can help me. It's fine. So basically I'm your crackhead friend. That's like, you're my dealer. (laughs) Oh Lord. Oh my God. Hi everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Starting off strong this week. Oh, no. At least I'm not like super wound up on coffee this week. Oh my God. I if have anything, say- I'm like the opposite of how I was last week. Cause now I'm just like, Mwah. oh, no, you're good. Well, it was funny. Cause when I, cause I was editing, like I took a turn editing, which is probably why it wasn't perfect <laughs> last week. Um, but I was editing and I did listen to it at like 1.4 times speed. And oh my God, we sound like chipmunks and I was dying. Dude, I was so, I was so, like, I even like 
talked to my coworkers about it the next day. I was like, dude, I tried to record a podcast yesterday. I just like couldn't like sit still and focus. I was like, so again, if you have your coffee mug, do you have water in it this week? <laughs> no, I just drank a big giant kombucha. Um, Ugh. nope, can't do it trying to stay healthy Yvonne I'm trying to I understand but the weird like jelly thing that's in there I can't I can't (laughs) the fungus weird thing I can't dude like I get the off brand and I don't think it's the same like I know it's not the same because when I get the like brand name kombucha like it's more vinegary tasting and it's very strong flavor and extra fizzy but I get the Kroger brand obviously and it's not as bad so anyway, how was your week? <laughs> uh, my week, my week's been okay. Uh, I mean, I'm in California, so my weather's really nice this week. I mean, we had a little bit of rain, but today and yesterday were like high 60s, low 70s. Dude, that's my um, jam. Yeah, it was really, it was really nice. I actually had the, the house open yesterday. It was great. And then um, <laughs> finally, after taking a nap yesterday, uh, I finally went out into the she shack and worked on it, which I haven't done in like a month. Cause I jacked my knee up, which that's a whole, oh. I didn't, I didn't realize how important your knees are in bending medicine <laughs> until I jacked it up. And then I was like, wow, I feel like I, this last month I like drawing blood. Like mm-hmm. I've been laying on the floor because I'm like, I can't kneel on my knee. Um, so I was pretty excited because yesterday and I was, I was paranoid yesterday. Cause like the stuff I had to do, I actually had to be like kneeling on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I used knee pads, but I was like, it may not work. Um, but it did. And I did not feel extra painful yesterday and I feel okay this morning. So I'm very excited about that. Cause the six to eight weeks of quote unquote cage rest, I imposed upon myself worked. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Because it was bad. Yeah. I, I totally was like, oh God, I have to have surgery. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But I didn't. So that's good. My knees, I mean, like, because my joint issues, like, just hurt all the time. Like, I've gotten in a really good habit of, like, I just sit on my butt when I do yeah floor floor medicine like I can't I can't sit on my knees you know how like the good old young vet techs or like normal people who don't have joint issues can sit on their knees and then like have their ankles like well that's like that's legit what I do like that's how I've done it for you know the years I've been in vet med and so like I've been fortunate that I don't well I didn't have knee problems um so this was I think it's the ankles that get me though. Like when I try to get uh, up from yeah, a position like that, like where I'm on my knees, like, dude, my ankles feel like they are going to break. Like, so I have to sit on my butt. Oh, like I just yeah. can't like. No, I, I didn't. So yeah. And that was the crazy thing is like my knee was hurting. Like I couldn't kneel on it and then trying to get up. I was having to like, <laughs> I was having to use cages and like <laughs> sinks to like pull myself up because like, I just, I couldn't put any weight on it. Like it was really bad. Um, and like the knee brace and Motrin that I was pounding for a couple of weeks and the cage rest <laughs> on my days off, I think finally made a difference. Um, so I'm excited that I can start getting back to more normal because yeah, it was bad for a while. Like I was just gimping around all, all at work and my poor partner, she was, I was like, can, anything that can go up on the table, can we please have it go up on the table? Cause I'm dying. 
Um, so right. I'm glad to kind of be out of that a little bit now. So, I bet. Yeah. I bet. But yeah, being vet techs and hard on our bodies. <laughs> I know. I know. I was just like, I'm in my early thirties. Like it shouldn't be this hard. Yeah. I mean, I'm in my early forties and you know, knock on whatever wood there is around me. I've been pretty fortunate that I haven't had major injuries that have, you know, taken me out of this profession yet. I mean, I knew, I know they're coming (laughs) and I'm sure this is the first of whatever else is coming in my future. So, right. You know, (sighs) getting old as a vet tech is accelerated most of the we time. definitely have a shelf life i think <laughs> like it's yeah. just body shelf life yeah 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 that's why and mental probably yeah. given the yeah. beginning of our last several episodes <laughs> that's so true <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean well and we'll talk about that part too like in that i'm excited for how that to be healthier in theory <laughs> how, to maybe, <laughs> how to maybe get out of a funk or prevent funks from happening I'm, I'm looking forward to figuring that out too so I feel like I'm on a good good upswing yeah for now yeah. we'll see for, for now. you're you're good at the moment <laughs> <laughs> ask me again in a few days yeah it's <laughs> fine I will don't worry <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh... So this week, though, speaking of all of your NSAID therapy, um, <laughs> right, we're going to talk about GI loss. This is why I didn't abuse the NSAIDs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're going to talk about GI blood loss. Um, some people know it as like blood loss anemia. There's gastrointestinal bleeding. Um, I learned a new abbreviation today, but we'll kind of get into that. I wanted to go over a little bit of housekeeping first. So last week's question of the week was very random. Um, we were asking I don't even about- remember who. That was what we're like, if your clinic or hospital has like a theme that they dress up for, for Halloween, because we were talking about the oh, microbiome. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, Matt obviously is oh just a wonderful trooper and he loves to send us like pictures of stuff. <laughs> of random stuff. Oh my God, I was dying. <laughs> so Matt sent an image of a lion resting and digesting prior to eating a buffalo. <laughs> no, I think the buffalo, I don't, well. Ooh, I, think the, I think I think we made a I think he made a comment that the lion was digesting was resting and digesting about, and he was thinking about digesting which right. is why he was just sitting there <laughs> right because we were talking about like if so yeah because we made a comment saying that it was autonomic <laughs> and it was a good thing because otherwise the lion would be sitting on the savannah going like okay now pylorus open so it was really funny because he sent this image of this lion just sitting there and he's like he's resting and digesting and thinking about it and i was like oh so funny. yeah and then of course too we got like a gif of a micro well it was like one of those inflatable tube guys that i mean yeah. like again if you could have seen our episode last week i was sitting here doing the like, doing the motions as we're doing it again yeah it's like impossible to not do it like yeah. it's yeah anyway micro, it is a really good costume idea i think i might try to pitch that next year like my boss isn't like super big into like holidays like or like yeah. dressing up for halloween and stuff like that but like who wouldn't want to be a little educational and be like, I'm micro villi. <laughs> the clients will be like, I don't get it. <laughs> like, it's not for you to get. Dude, what if like, okay, here's my idea. <laughs> All right. I'm going to dress up as a villi 
one of those inflatable tube guys and someone else is going to dress up at food and I'm going to hide around a corner and then I'm just going to grab them and pull them behind the corner because I absorbed them. That's not creepy at all. (laughs) It's "Ah." a little murderous. (laughs) And we're like, what happened? She sucked him into the wall. Yeah. Just like start locking people in closets. (laughs) You've been digested. (laughs) The hallway is... Mm-hmm. the lumen there's all these microvilli coming out and just like putting things in rooms like in the closets only brown scrubs so then when they come back out they're oh, stool oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh no so anyways I no- thanks, <laughs> <Matt>. <laughs> i have no idea why anybody would think we're unprofessional no i'm <laughs> no my ideas are at all. genius okay Speaking of us being unprofessional and people apparently liking it, (laughs) (laughs) Um, we wanted to give a shout out to a couple of people. Um, There was a, I think it was a Facebook post in Vet Tech Nation and we love Vet Tech Nation, by the way. We're definitely part of it. I do. It was Rebecca Ebarb, Dominic, I'm going to say Grilly, hopefully. um, And then Courtney Miller. They all recommended our podcast. as a veterinary podcast to listen to. So we wanted to say thank you. And if, (laughs) if this is the first episode that you're listening to of us ever, Mm, um, sorry, (laughs) beginning we're a little goofballs and then we get serious. So, (laughs) and then we get funny again. Yeah. Occasionally just break it up a little bit. So, (laughs) but thank you for recommending us. We really do appreciate it. Um, So we just wanted to, to give a quick shout out for that. Yeah, because I was uh, I, I saw that and I was like, ooh, yeah. we get recommended. I like it by when the, we get recommended. By the way, Rebecca, Dominic, and Courtney, if you let us know where you're at in the world, um, we could definitely send you some stickers because why not? I still have them, so I can send them to you. So if you get in touch with us, we'll we'll send you stickers. Yeah. All right. So diving into this week's episode, again, we are still pending race approval but we are working on it. It is in process at some point this episode will be race approved, but as of February, 2021, it's not yet approved, but just keep an eye out. And obviously we'll let everybody know when we get this approval. Um, But for now you can use it as self-study. And then, like I said, in the future, you can go to internal medicine for vettexmembership.com and it would be under podcast course for one hour of race approved CE. Um, But not yet. It is not approved yet. So just Make sure you get that at the moment. It is not race approved. Soon. Don't worry, people. We got you. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> We're getting on it. Um, okay. So again, we are going to be talking GI blood loss. I learned a new abbreviation this week, um, which I don't know why I didn't know it, but it's <laughs> Yvonne called it gooey. And <laughs> I know. I was like, what's gooey? <laughs> which is- it's G-U-E, <laughs> which is gastrointestinal ulceration or erosion. Um and the only reason why I put a couple different disease names in here is because sometimes we see it as blood loss anemia. Sometimes we just see it as gastrointestinal bleeding, or sometimes we do see specific gastrointestinal ulceration. But in order to diagnose gastrointestinal ulceration, you actually have to diagnose it. So with biopsy or visualization and ultrasound? Yes, oh. but we'll get to that. But for now, we're just going to start off. We have a patient that comes in with GI bleeding. They're not anemic yet. They are just showing symptoms. However, what type of GI bleeding you might ask? We're going to get to it. 
<laughs> types of GI bleeding, which sure is why is. this episode might be a little all over the place. And forgive my dog for just snoring right there. Like it's okay. Your dogs, your dogs make cameos in this. It's cool. They do. Mm-hmm. Same with Nick Dinas. No, I added him out because he's annoying. <laughs> you guys have no idea. I wish I could have left it in, but I didn't. It was horrible. We should last cut week. and paste it though and just like post it on Facebook. Oh God. <laughs> and us and me yelling at him, shut up. Nicodemus. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> anyway, so sometimes you can have anemia that's caused by GI bleeding. Yet the bleeding can be caused by a variety of different reasons. Mm. Um, However, if you diagnose or see the symptoms of GI bleeding early, it does not always cause anemia, but it can definitely lead to it. Yeah. Um, Refer back to last week's episode, which was episode 69, the back to basics of the GI tract. And I strictly say this just to get a really good idea of the anatomy and physiology of the GI tract, because I am not going into it this week. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we, we, we did a basics episode on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Um, but bleeding can occur in any of these areas that we talked about last week, and they all can present very differently. So GI bleeding can occur um, it, or it can be seen in the upper GI tract or the lower GI tract. Sometimes, spoiler alert. Both. Sometimes you get it in both, but technically the mouth is the upper GI tract. We talked about this last week, but sometimes mm. the bleeding's in the mouth. Um, <laughs> True that. And people don't think that's considered GI. Well, I feel like it's not one of those things that triggers me to be like, oral bleeding is not the same as GI bleeding, but it technically is. Yeah, I think, um, I, it, well, and that's a, that's a good point because, I mean, we're going to talk about this a little bit. Well, may as well talk about it now. So because people will bring their pets in because they're like, oh my God, they've, they vomited up coffee grounds, right? Which is the yes. classic like blood in the stomach that is partially digested and it comes up and it looks like coffee grounds. Well, it could be that it's bleeding gums or a nosebleed or something, you know, like head related and then they swallow it and it's digested versus mm-hmm. it's actually happening like in the esophagus or in the stomach. Um, so sometimes you have to figure out, okay, is it, is it oral bleeding? Nose, nose bleeding. bleeding. Yeah. Um, versus like in the actual stomach. Um, so, so, you know, it, it can be tricky sometimes. Um, like I just had a patient this week actually, um, that came in for vomiting coffee grounds and it was because he was bleeding from his gums, like really bad. Mm-hmm. And we still don't know why he was, doing was he that. on pancreasime? He was not, but I did ask <laughs> had this conversation and my doctor's like, oh yeah, I've had one that did that. And I was like, dang it. I thought I knew something you didn't know. She's too smart for me. Yeah. I was really excited. And then she was like, oh yeah. And I'm like, God, okay, fine. <laughs> could you just be like, I imagine your excitement when you got the history you'd run back in the back and be like I know why it's bleeding from the gums <laughs> <laughs> well we we actually it was transferred to us from ultrasound and not and I was like Sue and she's like yeah no he's not on it but yeah I knew about that and I was like man <laughs> like fine I, I felt really smart for a half second and then I was like oh someday I'll stump you maybe one day probably not honestly she's she's pretty brilliant yeah um but those patients too can present so like i've had clients say like well when they're eating a treat or when they're eating Mm. out of the bowl i'll see a little bit of blood in the bowl so it's um sometimes it's seen before they vomit up coffee grounds yeah 
Um, but yeah, so how it presents is it can be cats or dogs. Um, it can be any age or any breed, any sex, only because there's a wide variety of reasons why for bleeding. <laughs> for, for bleeding. Yeah. Um, so hematoemesis, that is vomiting blood. Sometimes it can be frank red blood. Sometimes it mm. can be those coffee grounds, like Yvonne said. If it's a frank red blood, I would have to assume that, yes, it's like a kind of a current bleed yeah to say um i've had a dog who had like a horrible esophageal ulcer right at the cardiac sphincter and um that dog was having difficulty swallowing obviously imagine like if i could show you these pictures like i just picture like the ulceration we see after taking out an esophageal foreign body that's all i picture it's so yeah I think this dog maybe had doxycycline or something I think that's how it got it oh wow yeah that sucks yeah because it, it just like it was right at the cardiac sphincter and it was just Oof. like it must have just like sat there for a minute Ooh. Well enough. yeah this is why um, you give food or water after doxy <laughs> but hematoemesis can indicate bleeding in the upper GI tract mm-hmm. and then we also have melena um, which is that dark tarry stool. Sometimes it's black stool. Same thing indicates bleeding in the upper GI tract. And I say upper, even though it's coming out the other end. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> and it's, and it's important to remember, like the reason it's that dark tarry or the coffee ground look or whatever, it's because it's being digested. Mm-hmm. So in order to be digested, you have to have the digestive enzymes, which is going to be either stomach or, you know, the duodenum, jejunum, ileum kind of stuff. So, cause that's where that digestion happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're talking about digested blood, it's upper GI, um, you don't that's, get digestion in the lower GI. Yeah. And that's where it'd be really good to go back and listen to episode 69. Um, just because yeah. like I said, we kind of heavily talk about where digestion occurs and what's occurring in those areas. Yep. But yeah, melana, when we see it, it's, it's commonly bleeding in the stomach or the lower G or I mean the small intestines. Yep. Um, and then we have Frank blood in the stool. Um, sometimes we can see that with like HGE or hemorrhagic gastroenteritis. Uh, this would indicate bleeding in the lower GI tract. So if clients are seeing Frank red blood in the stool, that is lower GI tract, that's large intestines. And this can be caused by several things, which I'll get into a little bit more um, when we talk about like our differential diagnoses, but it's things like um, colonic strictures, colonic polyps, HGE, like I already kind of said, masses, anal gland tumors, anal gland infections. Yeah. And it's good to ask a client if they're seeing that Frank red blood, mm-hmm. is it just like on the outside of it? Like, is there just like a streak of it or is it like all over it or is it in the middle of it? Because that can kind of help us figure out, okay, if it's just on the outside of it and there's a streak, it's probably like colorectal, right? Yeah, exactly. Versus if it's mixed in, that's probably higher up in the colon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can kind of, you, so, I know it's funny because when I talk to clients, I'm like, I get that we probably don't want to talk about this, but we're going to have to get really nitty gritty about what this poop looks like. Mm -hmm. And you probably have never had this much of a conversation about poop. And so, you know, sometimes, and the clients will giggle and laugh. And and then, you know, at the end, I'm like, 
anything else you want to tell the doctor? And they're like, nope, you are super thorough. And I'm like, great. <laughs> yeah. Cause if you think about HG, that's that classic, like strawberry jam, like it's all blood and it's mucus yep. and mm-hmm. there's not really much stool involved in it. Um, but that does tell us that it is still large bowel, but higher up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the diarrhea episode that we did, I think we talked about like the different colors and questions to ask clients. Definitely. So that's a, that's a, <laughs> yeah. That's a good episode to kind of listen to for, um, like history questions and things to look for. So the um, number two. Yes, exactly. I like that episode. <laughs> and then we already kind of talked about blood from the mouth. So it might be noticed on food treats or toys. Um, same thing with blood from the nose. Clients might not always notice bleeding from the nose, especially like, I got to say like if it's in, further back. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if it's further back or people have dark haired dogs. Um, yeah. if it's a very, very minor bleed. Um, yeah, I've definitely had it a couple of times where clients will come in and be like, I have no idea where this blood is coming from. I just saw yep. it on the ground and you're yep. like, okay, where are we bleeding from? So yeah, that's super common. They're like, I don't know if it came from their paw. I don't know if it came from their mouth. I don't know if it came from their butt or their yeah, vulva exactly. or like, <laughs> like it just came from the dog and you're like, all right, well, let's look for something. Yeah. Um, decreased appetite I put on here too, just because again, a lot of these patients are going to have some sort of GI upset. And we already talked about the vomiting and the diarrhea part. So (laughs) decreased appetite and digestion of blood is not comfortable. Mm -mm. I don't know if anybody's ever had a stress ulcer, but I had (laughs) stress stress ulcers and like, it's just, (laughs) it's a very like burny feeling. Like my gut's feel burny they just well and I've I've heard (laughs) yeah and I've heard of people that have had blood in their stomach and it's Mm -hmm. very nauseating just yeah you know they're it's not what should be digested in there no 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 it like it's like a weird feeling of like it feels like your stomach is digesting something even if you haven't eaten something and it's just like a it's a acidy feeling and it yeah it's hot like my stomach felt hot and um it's crazy. And then two, you got to think, so we're going to talk about differential diagnosis too, but we're going to have a decreased appetite. We're going to be nauseated. We're going to have vomiting, diarrhea. Um, there might be some weight loss depending on the cause. There might be some bleeding or petechiation somewhere else. Um, depending especially again, like, on what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, if you have a dog who has any of the signs of blood in the GI tract somewhere, but then yet they're still eating, um, it's pretty rare, but like sometimes then you, it might make you wonder, okay, well maybe it's a coagulopathy and not like a GI bleed per se. Yeah. Um, yeah. So speaking of <laughs> differential <laughs> diagnosis, dude, this differential diagnosis list is oh, so long. It is. I, this is going to be the bulk of the episode because I really wanted to go into detail about all of these things. And that's, I I think that's the hardest part for clients to kind of understand and wrap their, their heads around because why it's not just a one test and go, (laughs) there's so many reasons we could have bleeding in the guts. Like you just do an x-ray. You're like, no, no, that won't tell us anything. Well, that's not true. It'll tell us if there's a foreign body, (laughs) like, you know, there's a string under the tongue, right? little metal toxicity. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But I the did first put one. a good oral exam on 
somewhere oh, in my yeah. notes here because same thing like string under the tongue i've had a cat who had melna because he had a string under the tongue <laughs> like and it was there for a while oh those are the worst when you look under the tongue and you're just like ah oh lord okay yeah oh my god we had this dog once and it was the like thickest string under his tongue and it had been there for probably months. I think this dog Ugh. was not right for months and it smelled so bad and we we're working it up for everything. And I ended up actually being the one to look in the dog's mouth and like look under the tongue and stuff. Ugh. And luckily it was like right after the ultrasound, like my doctor was like, I didn't see anything. Like everything looks very, very normal. <clears throat> and then I was like, I'm going to look at like the mouth smells Awful. like something something's wrong up in this mouth. yeah but it was a shih tzu and it was like an old dog so it's like you know how sometimes their face just stinks in general Ugh. and like but i opened this dog's I mouth i can literally smell it right now and i'm just like <laughs> but yeah like man but it was great because like we sent it to surgery because it was it was in there like the tongue was pretty necrotic like poor thing and, oh my god the dog let me guess great. it's been waiting it's been losing weight because it didn't want to eat very well Yep. Basically. <laughs> I think that was like the main complaint was that it was not eating well and losing weight. Of course. Why but, would you want to eat when your tongue's being sawed off slowly? Mm, it, Ooh, oh, and drooling. Ooh. I want to say drooling was probably, I don't know. I, it was a while ago, but it was one of those things where like, when I found it, I was like, yes. I can't even imagine because like, I've had like the popcorn kernel shell thing. Mm. Like I've had that stuck under my tongue before. And I'm like, Ugh, like, I can't, <laughs> like, I can't even imagine like a string wrapped around my tongue. Like just sounds horrible. Yeah. yeah. I can't uh -huh. imagine. Okay. Anyway. Glad back on track. Fingers. Yeah. So differential diagnosis list. I'm just going to kind of run through and these aren't in any specific order, but of course I did put my favorite up top because, <laughs> because I like to, and I can. And we um, have a whole episode about this one as well. <laughs> yes. So coagulopathies. So uh, most coagulopathies will s cause some sort of like associated bleeding, whether it be from the nose or like accumulation of blood, like within the body cavities anywhere or petechiation. But a lot of times they're the only sign of a coagulopathy is GI bleeding. Or that's the first place that you notice it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, well, because you got to think of like how much stuff is moving through there. And if a patient has coagulopathy, like the first like injury that they might get is it's chewing on kibble yeah <laughs> chewing on kibble or just food moving through the bowels and it's just it's uh -huh. a it's a minimal bleed however i do dislike it like when we have like an itp patient and then they get gi bleeding and i'm like oh, it's so hard to come back from yeah the gi bleeding with the with well with a coagulopathy but specifically itp like oh yeah, it's so hard because it's different. I feel like with a coagulopathy, it's almost easier like to well, manage than depend well, depending on what the coagulopathy is. Yes. Like if it's, you know, um rat bait or if it's low Just plasma or yeah, you know, or vitamin Low K or, you know, something like that. Like we can give them drugs for that. Um I had we just recently had an ITP um and it had a GI bleed and we used the stable plate and yeah, that dog was good for 24 hours. Mm -hmm. But once the stable plate was gone, 
you're back yeah. to GI bleeding and it was just and plasma doesn't help sucked. that no, you need it definitely doesn't. <laughs> so we were just like we were kind of back to square one but like we were hoping that the body would be able to heal a little bit within mm-hmm. that 24 hours which is yeah we do we the same it. thing yeah we um, do the same thing I love stable plate for the fact that it is a good band-aid yeah. But it's a band-aid and eventually that band-aid has to come off and it sucks. And it's a very short acting band-aid. It was like 24 hours. And it's the only band-aid on. that can be kept on for 24 hours. And then like... Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that talk did not do well. No, they never um, do. But anyway, coagulopathies yeah. are my favorite because I just like blood. Um, <laughs> just like blood. We also have, I mean, the most most common ones we think of with GI bleed is going to be your ulcers and erosions. So that's the the gooey, the gooey. Yeah. Um, and, and Sorry, that was is, a weird noise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she just like did cat noise. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and this is the one that I think we think of just like the most commonly when we think GI like blood loss is we look for ulcers or erosions of the mucosa um because it, it you know depending on what's going on it could be a chronic you know unresolving ulcer and that could be you know there there could be a tumor involved with that there could be drugs involved with that or it could just be stress cuz you can get ulcers from stress like you know, Jordan obviously talked about. Um, so, you know, we, that is hard because, and, and we can sometimes see them on ultrasound. Um, it's, it's not super common, but if they're bad enough, we can see them on ultrasound. Cause you'll just see like this divot. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, it's like a oh. dark divot too. You're like, that's not supposed to be there. Um, yeah. but you can also see it on like endoscopy and stuff like that. And, and if, if there is an ulcer, we tend to not biopsy it no <laughs> because that is erosion of the layers of the, either the stomach or the intestines and you don't want to go, go through that and perf. <laughs> so we, we stay away from that yeah. um, but you can you know we can do we can give the animals drugs to help with the ulcers and in, in you know theory <laughs> it just takes yeah. a little while unfortunately yeah. And I made really good notes on like the medications used and why, cause Sweet. I was super proud of myself. <laughs> um, medications you do not want to use if there's GI bleeding would be dun, 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 dun. Oh, the NSAIDs. So there are drugs that de- definitely can cause GUEs, high doses of steroids like dexamethasone or prednisone. Um, they have potential f- to cause GI ulceration, um, combining steroids with non-steroidals can definitely be devastating yeah combining combining non so NSAIDs non-steroidal anti-inflammatories with a steroid is bad I think we all know that um but sometimes I think it can be overlooked because you want to have that washout period um so like if you have a patient on a steroid and let's say they come in with something that or excuse me on an NSAID so they come in with an NSAID and, you know, you want to switch them to a steroid. You have to wait like two to three days of no NSAIDs in their stomach to start, um, to start the steroid because they, you know, we just don't want to cause an ulcer, um, because of that. 
because they can be bad. Um, we've definitely seen patients come in that have them because they didn't do a washout period and they have really bad, um, GI ulcers that are now hard to get under control. Yeah. Those ones are fun. And it sucks too, because like, you don't really want to blame anything specific because then people are like, well, why do you prescribe that? Or why'd so-and-so prescribe that? And I'm just like, it's such a like, well, no, like it's the right call. Like if your dog is limping and needed NSAIDs, like they're uncomfortable, we treat pain. Like that's what we need to do. Yeah. In human medicine though, though, they do steroids and NSAIDs together all the time. Oh, for sure. When I, I don't know. If I like I've been that. on them a million times and I was like, are you sure? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, but are you? <laughs> I'm like, so I'm going to take some Pepsin with this. Okay. Yeah. yeah um, Go to the clinic and get some Carefate. Yeah. yeah. I was, um, when I had my eye issue with the Bartonella. Yeah. We haven't already talked about that. We can talk about that in some episode. Uh, I, they prescribed me. It was crazy. They prescribed a thousand milligrams of Motrin. <laughs> every eight hours or six hours six hours or eight hours but a lot Mm -hmm. and like at the time I would take like 400 milligrams occasionally if I needed it so this was like a giant jump for me and they gave me um solumedrol Mm -hmm. which is the liquid stuff you know that you have to like push the little ball in the yeah I usually get the medrol packs and not the solumedrol but yes yeah no they gave me that and then first of all they gave me the stuff you're supposed to use for injectable and they're like okay so what we want you to do is pour it in a glass and then fill the rest of the glass up with orange juice to drink it because supposedly that was supposed to help the flavor of it and i'm like i'm drinking this and they're like yeah i was like okay so I'm it was like a I don't even remember it was some insane dose of solumedrol and first of all it made the orange juice coagulate which was disgusting and then I had to drink it and I was like I can't like dude I almost hurled so bad um and I was like I am giving myself an ulcer right now and like I had to take pepsid because I was just like I can't dude it was the most nastiest tasting stuff but I was like really you want me to take this much Motrin and solumedrol orally Mm -hmm. like for four days, I'm going to die. And they're like, no, you're not. I'm like, yes, I am. You're like, well, I'm going to be pooping blood later. <laughs> and I was like, is this not a thing in like human medicine? Cause in animal medicine, I, they would die. <laughs> I don't know how that, I don't know how people are different than animals, but I don't get that either. Maybe <sighs> just in people, they're just like, we're going to risk it. Right. Oh my God. They're like, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you got inflammation. Let's knock it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it blows I think- my mind. And I think too, for us, right? Like I see older patients come in all the time on an NSAID um, because of arthritis, right? Like that's the number one reason we see them come into our Mm -hmm. department (laughs) because our patients are usually old. Um, So they're on an NSAID because they have horrible arthritis. Mm -hmm. And I feel like most of the general practice practitioners around me, like they steer away from like carprofen or mm-hmm. uh, daricoptsib or meloxicam because, you know, there's been those reported cases of liver and um, GI bleed kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but the new one that everybody's doing right now, mm-hmm. which is, is it Galaprant? Mm-hmm. We were kind of talking about that. And everybody puts them on Galaprant. And I'm like, 
okay, well, we're going to take them off of that now because yeah. they're having <laughs> GI bleeding and ulcers. Like, I, I just feel like <sighs> with older patients with liver issues or anything like that, they just, NSAIDs, as much as like, they're great, they are not benign, mm-hmm. right? And, and it's best to monitor really closely. It's like and one of those catch 22s. Like nobody wants to do NSAIDs because of the GI effects, but nobody wants to do actual steroids either because of the like systemic effects. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's hard because I mean, obviously we don't want our patients to be painful. So there are other options. Like I feel like gabapentin is the big one right now mm-hmm. um, because we don't see the liver toxicity and, and GI ulcerations and stuff like that. But I feel like it's really important to one inform your clients of the possibility of GI ulcers or liver issues with these drugs. Um, so hopefully, you know, your clinic is having that conversation with clients or handing out like the, um, the drug handouts. Like we love the plum veterinary, um, medication handouts because it does talk about that. And so, you know, make sure that your client is informed because, cause we've had it a, a bunch of times where clients will come in and they're like, we had no idea that it could do this. And we're like, well, it can, which is why you should be monitoring it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of one of those, make sure you're informing your clients. Yeah. And then as we mentioned, stress can definitely be a cause of ulcers, but when I'm referring to stress, like I specifically mean like the decrease. Yeah. (laughs) Now mind you, I do, I do firmly believe that like mental stress because we have those HGE patients, but for sure. um, Or separation anxiety or something. Yeah. Yeah. Fireworks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but when I'm talking stress currently, I mean like the decrease in visceral perfusion. So things like hypovolemic shock, we have our, um, heat stroke patients. So we have our neurogenic shocks, our systemic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS. Um, also this is a really important one to kind of throw in there is like surgery and hypovolemia during surgery. We talk about it. Yeah. Good. Okay. Cause uh, we'll, we'll talk about it more when we get there. Or we can just talk about it next because. Yeah. So yeah, like Yvonne was kind of saying, surgery can definitely be responsible. Um, Obviously you have like the obvious where like, if for some reason something isn't done properly, then like mucosa can't recover um, and it can't cover said wound. So say you do like a foreign body explore or something like that. Um, or it's or just not just healing like, properly. Right. Like, yeah. So say like Cushing's disease and like, or, yeah, you know, yeah. So something goes wrong, but yeah, like Yvonne was saying, like, we can also have like hypotension and, um, that- or we've talked about it before low body temperatures, right. Cause that yeah. low body temperature from surgery can cause clotting cascade malfunction, Um, So that's really important for us to remember just as much as heat stroke can affect those proteins, like on the other end, being cold also affects it. Remember homeostasis. I feel like we need just like a shirt that says homeostasis. We're going to make one because I want one really, really, really bad. Because it's like, we need to be in that good range. Otherwise our, our clotting factors just don't work appropriately. So it's really important for us to try to maintain body temperature 
maintain your blood pressure, you know, do, do the best that you can for your patients and your surgery, because that's really going to affect like how they recover. Um, and I've seen that a few times where, you know, for whatever reason they got hypotensive in surgery, you know, if, if they are hypovolemic or they're hypotensive, um, and they're also, you know, cold body temperature and, and you're unable to rectify that quickly, you know, like they're just, it's a really difficult case. Like the ASA is high, then, you know, that's just something that you need to make sure whoever's monitoring post-op that they know, Hey, they were cold. Hey, they're hypovolemic. Please monitor for these things and let the doctor know right away. If you're seeing, you know, oozing from the incision site, or, you know, they're just not getting up to temperature post-op as quick as we would like. So there's, there's things that we can do in clinic that can, can help potentially prevent like more bleeding issues. Mm -hmm. So, so there's that. Yeah. And then I'm going to kind of run through the next couple of things. Cause I don't know a lot about some of these things. Um, <laughs> so I can let's... help girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, I do know that mast cell tumors, when they are angry, they are angry. <laughs> Nothing so, like a little, uh, uh, mast cell tumor to re- release the hist- histamine and then cause all sorts of problems. <laughs> yeah. So basically when they get pissed off, they can degranulate and they can release histamine, um, which can cause gastric acid hypersecretion. Um, which can then obviously lead to gastric ulceration um, and erosion. And then of course we have our hepatic failure, which can also cause gastric ulceration. Um, anytime a dog has hepatic disease and then just kind of like suddenly becomes clinically worse, like, especially like if they're a hepatic encephalopic patient, um, then you should definitely consider the possibility of gastric ulcerations and then things like gastric tumors, such as like a leomyoma or a leomyosarcoma um they can be especially finicky and dramatic when it comes to bleeding um and yeah i've had a gastric mass that we biopsied and it was just like we had a cat once with a splenic mast cell oh splenic mast cell tumor yeah Yeah. that cat crashed oh that was Well, mast cell tumors in general, it's like, it's, it's hard because well, when you have a cat diagnose it, you know, you have to like poke it, you have to poke it. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of times if you're suspicious of it, you give the Benadryl to hopefully help yeah. with the histamine release. But the problem is, is like your intestines are lined with mast cells just normally, like not tumors, mm-hmm. but just general. And so what can happen and, and there's a reason for it. We want the histamine release for some yeah, things, right? It's like a cascade effect. Yeah. Like but if you have a, an excessive amount of them and like you have stuff run past it. So, you know, brushing up against it, the kibble brushes up against it and pisses it off. Then you can have like an issue with it. So it's, you know, you've, there's all these like massy kind of things that can definitely be a problem. So Yeah. I didn't put it in my notes, but I'm going to throw it in there just briefly, but renal disease can cause like those oral ulcerations. So just be on the lookout for that. Uh, we talked about it a lot in our kidney episodes. So that's all I'm going to say. Um, we have Addison's disease or hypoadrenocorticism. Um, 
uh, that can lead to like severe hematemesis. And obviously these patients can go into pretty life-threatening shock episodes. Yeah. Um, so hematemesis is actually a them. rare complication of it, but it can, it can happen. Yeah. We've had a couple that come in through our ER department that we test for Addison's and we've actually had a couple be, yes, it is Addison's. I'm a um, firm believer that every HGE patient who gets stressed should have a cortisol level. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> yes, because Addison's it's the great pretender, right? It can show up at any time. Um, so it's especially, especially if you've had a couple of bouts of like, just mm-hmm random gastrointestinal stuff um it's it's not a bad idea to just make sure they don't have addison's because it can definitely lead to it yeah gastronomas are definitely very similar to mast cell tumors but they're small pancreatic tumors and what they do is they produce um a, a large amount of gastrin which we talked about last week is a hormone that causes gastric acid secretion so it does it does kind of mimic like a mast cell tumor in in some ways um, and then of course we talked about foreign bodies as they press on things, like Ugh. especially if you have like an esophageal foreign body can cause esophageal ulceration, any sort of foreign body, if it sits somewhere long enough, is going to cause some sort of erosion or ulceration. Um, just scrape along on the way out, you know, like, a yeah, rock. like those sticks or chicken bones or, um, and then two, we kind of mentioned it in the very beginning, ingesting blood, like things from like from like nasal bleeding or they can, sometimes they can have like bleeding pulmonary lesions Ooh. where like the Ooh. blood can be coughed up and then swallowed and then later vomited. Um, so much fun. So sometimes they can have <laughs> quote unquote GI bleeding that is not actually in the GI tract. It's in the pulmonary region. And so it, it is again, one of those things where you got to really do some investigating. Yeah. Again, this is why these are a pain in the butt sometimes to figure out where's the blood coming from. Pain for us and a pain for our patients. That it is. Um, So our diagnostics, I've already kind of mentioned quite a bit of these. So our oral exam, because again, you want to look for that string under the tongue. You're going to look for gingival bleeding or like bad teeth, um, oral masses. Sometimes you want to look for petechiation. So if there's a coagulopathy going on. I put a fecal occult blood test on here. Um, however, those are rarely helpful or necessary, but can occasionally be informative. The only reason why I say is that they can't be helpful is because sometimes you have false positives. Sometimes, a lot of times you have false positives. And this is because you got to think our patients are animals and a lot of their food has animal products meat. in them, yeah. meat. And so that sometimes, especially if there's enough of an amount, it's going to trigger a positive response because they are shedding blood in their stool. It's not their blood, but right. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done a fecal occult. We never, test. we never do them. Yeah. yeah. Um, huh. Obviously we're going to want to do a CBC in biochemistry because we're going to want to look for things like low platelets, low hematocrit, and those numbers should definitely be evaluated anytime bleeding is noted. Yes. <laughs> um, especially platelets. And then two, depending on the cause, sometimes we can see elevations of liver values or kidney values, like with our NSAID toxicities. Um, so CBC and biochemistry can have several changes depending on the cause. <laughs> well, and you may see like an increase. Um, so 
you know, sometimes with these, these guys, you can see an increase in the BUN. Um, so the blood urea nitrogen when there is GI bleeding, but you won't see an increase with the creatinine. Yeah. Um, and, and that's so, one of those things though, that can be tricky too. Cause you don't know if it's like dehydration. Right. And so that's, that's, you, you know, you get them rehydrated and if that's kind of persistent, then, you know, you're like, oh, there might be some GI bleeding going on. Um, so it's just, you know, again, it's just one tool, but it's, you know, when you've got a big picture and you've got it all pointing towards GI blood loss, then you kind of look for that. Yeah. Um, and of course we have our clotting time. So PT, PTT, um, the VCM, if you've got that, you're just mm -hmm. going to look to make sure, you know, are they hyper? No. If, are they hypocoagulable? Um, because that can let us know that that's the problem and not necessarily like an ulcer or, but if they are hypercoagulable, they could potentially, I did read about this where they could potentially like, especially our liver failure patients, they could be in DIC and start oh, with GI bleeding, obviously. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times their coags can be low or normal, um, yeah. because they are clotting. Yeah. Just not in the right spots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not yep. a laughing matter. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, well, and that's, and that's what the, the VCM, um, is good for the viscoelastogram mm -hmm. because it'll let you know, are they hypercoagulable? Like do, are they forming clots faster than they should? Right. Or the hypo there, it's taking a long time for them to, to form clots. So that's, that's one of the, the reasons that's a good test. Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, the other thing too is, and we didn't really talk about that is do they have a coagulopathy like, um, like Von Willebrand's, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, we can sometimes see that with like the VCM, we, but we wouldn't see it on a PTPTT. Yeah. And that's too, like a uh, buccal mucosal bleeding time is also good in those patients. However, uh -huh. that's not the easiest test to do on an awake patient. No, um, <laughs> no. They have but to be it definitely a little quiet. <laughs> it definitely can be useful. Um, I think radiographs definitely can be useful as well because you can you can know either an enlarged or small liver, possible bowel or other types of masses. Foreign I think bodies. it's a very important <laughs> foreign bodies. I think it's very important to include chest in radiographs just because again we want to look for those pulmonary masses for possible causes for cough. Um, I don't recommend the skull rads just because a lot of times you're not going to see a nasal tumor. Um, however, you could see like a nasal foreign body if it's something that got lodged up there, like a stick would be crazy. Yeah. I mean, still not the best. The problem with skull rods is there's so many views and it's like, is Man. that a good use of, of money no. sometimes? Unless you're really <laughs> suspicious of something being up there, like you, you know, like you, you see a blockage or something in, in, in airflow. I mean, otherwise yeah, I don't. I wouldn't push for. Yeah, I do recommend checking fecal just parasite testing, just because again, intestinal parasites can cause GI blood loss, 100%. obviously. <laughs> um, and it's a simple test that I feel like in our like profession and the specialty setting can sometimes get overlooked because I think there's a lot of assumption that maybe the primary vet had already done it or that they're on heartworm flea prevention that's preventing it. Mind you, we still send out a lot of fecals despite the we fact definitely that like, do. Yeah. yeah, we do but like, I the, feel like it could uh, get PCRs. easily overlooked. We mm -hmm. do a lot of the PCRs instead of just the fecal floats. Yeah, that's what we do too. The fecal float, unfortunately, I think we've talked about this a couple of times, you know, just because 
it's quote unquote no ova or parasite scene right don't say negative no ova or parasite scene at this time like there could be stuff up there that's just not shedding so the the pcr is going to be a little bit more accurate because you're looking for um you know the proteins and stuff like that Mm -hmm. instead of just the actual egg or the parasite so Mm -hmm. and then ultrasound is obviously going to be one of my favorite well I don't know. The next two are my favorite, <laughs> like ultrasound and endoscopy, but ultrasound, you can measure bowel thickness. So you can look for overly thick areas, or thin um, areas. Or thin <laughs> areas like ulceration. It's not always seen, but sometimes you can see it. You can look for masses. You can look for foreign bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be good indicators as now. The only thing you can't see is like, obviously esophageal problems, right? Um, <laughs> so my one patient, we had to do an endoscopy to see his esophageal ulcer. That was Oof. huge and awful. Um, so you can evaluate the esophagus for ulceration and masses, or even just reflux. You can evaluate the stomach. Yeah. Yep. You can evaluate the stomach and small bowel for ulceration or masses and obtain biopsy samples. And then you can do a colonoscopy. So that's when we are suspecting like a large bowel disease. So our frank blood that is noted in stool, um, you can look for masses or polyps or strictures or anything that could be causing that frank blood. Yeah. We've I seen mean, a lot of cases where it looks like they had like some sort of foreign body and it just scrapes through the GI tract. Oh yeah. I hate that. Where you just see those like track marks yeah. and you're like, ah, you're ah. like, that was not us. That was there before we went in. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of (laughs) (laughs) really depends. (laughs) Treatment really depends. So obviously determining the cause is going to make your treatment much more successful if the cause is found, because you know what you're treating. You're not just throwing meds at something. However, not all clients want to do ultrasound or endoscopy or even x-rays or blood work, you know? So you just got to wiggle your crystal ball (laughs) and, Maybe give them a, throw them a lot of stuff. (laughs) Yep. Um, But like I said, I I am going to talk about some drugs pretty well in this, just because I think the, what they do is very important sometimes. So we have our H2 receptor antagonists. Um, These are super commonly used. Um, So these are going to be our drugs like our famotidine or ranitidine or simitidine. Um, The the itidines. (laughs) The itidines. (laughs) And these are really good for decreasing like gastric hydrogen ion concentration. And we talked about the gastric hydrogen in last week's episode. Um, The primary, like the, the, best thing that H2 receptor antagonists are used for is in treating like existing ulcers and um, erosions. And this is so remember a large or a higher concentration of gastric hydrogen ions is going to make things more acidic, Mm -hmm. right? So if we decrease the amount of that hydrogen ion, we're going to get more alkaline, hopefully, you know, a little bit it's not going to be a neutral pH, but it's going to be a less, acidic, a little bit more balanced. A yeah. Little, yeah. A little bit more balanced, um, to hopefully prevent erosion from the acidity. That's mm-hmm. so that's, that's where the famotidine and renidine and cimetidine come in. Now, I don't know about you, but I know my doctors aren't giant fans of using famotidine long-term Mm-mm. because there have been some studies that have shown that, um, 
over long term, it actually loses the efficacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're giving it, but it may not be doing as good a job as it used to do. Yeah. Um, well, now so- ranitidine is super difficult to get, like because in human medicine they pulled it. Oh, really? Yeah, they discontinued that. that medication. It's even hard to get, like injectable wise, like mm-hmm. for in hospital, because that's when we used it. We would send it home. I think we would have people do like a one to two week course of it and then stop it. Um, but now people can't, you can't get it. It's so, yeah. And I think this is one that we like to, um, kind of wean them down off of mm -hmm. instead of just stopping cold Turkey, just because, you know, if you're not, if you're not giving it, then the body just can't adjust. So we try to do either a short course or just wean them down, especially if they've been on it for a long term. Cause if the bowel is going to be like gastric acid everywhere, and then you like decrease that, but then there's no like taper back to kind of teach the body how to produce the right amount of gastric acid. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. then once you come off the body's going to be like gastric acid everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and then we also recommend not we, uh, veterinary professionals who can prescribe medications recommend proton <laughs> pump inhibitors <laughs> And those are most effective like antacid drugs that veterinary medicine can use. So these are going to be drugs like our omiprazole, lenosprazole, um, which I was like, what is that? And that is the brand name is Prevacid. Um, huh. And then Tampro, uh, Pantoprazole, which is what we use in hospital dude every day. Yeah, we <laughs> like, use omiprazole, yeah. like kind of going home, Pantoprazole in yeah. hospital. I've never used lenosprazole <laughs> um i i mean i don't know why they pick one or the other i think it's just i don't know i think it's doctor preference yeah yeah and that inhibits like gastric acid secretion so we have the decreased gastric hydrogen ion concentration and then we inhibit gastric acid secretion so it's kind of like a combo effect yeah um i put on here mesoprostol is like oh, yeah. it it's a prostaglandin E analog and what it's used for, it can be used as like a prophylactic drug to like prevent gastric ulceration, um, especially due to NSAIDs. So if you have those patients who are, they have to be on NSAIDs for a good quality of life. Yeah. Like they just have to be, but they are susceptible to getting ulcerations then mesoprostol is definitely a good choice. Um, it's also useful in treating existing ulcers However, there are a lot of side effects of this drug and it also can be costly. So it's not used super often. Yeah. And then of course, sucralfate, everybody knows good old (laughs) sucralfate is very effective in treating ulceration. It's not overly great at preventing ulceration. We still do it anyway to try to prevent ulceration. (laughs) Well, and it's really important with that one because that just, it's a coating medication. So it helps like coat the ulcer to prevent more acidity mm-hmm. from eroding further. Um, and, and it, that's really important for us to remember too, when we're talking to our doctor or not our doctors to our clients and being like, do not give sucralfate with any other medications. Mm-hmm. Don't give it the same time as food. It really needs to be by itself. Give two hours before or after anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Otherwise one, the medicate, if you're giving medications with it, you've basically made the medications null and void because it can't be absorbed. So you're mm-hmm. throwing money away, but two, you know, you could be making it so that they're just not being treated. So we just, 
make sure to give that by itself. Um, yeah. And another good thing that I didn't write on here, but if sucralfi just doesn't seem to be like enough to really help these patients, you can use barium. Now, if you are worried about like an ulcer that has maybe perforated or is leaking or could potentially like have a mass or something that's leaking, do not use barium. Mind you, if that happens, like it's bad anyway. And like, (laughs) barium's not going to make it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Barium's not going to make it like the worst thing because it's already like really bad. But barium might be good because you'll be able to see it leaking. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Don't do it. Yeah. Um, but you, you can use barium because it, it's got, it's, it's thicker. thicker. <laughs> um, also with carefate or sucralfate, I'm sorry, with sucralfate, you definitely want to inform clients, make it into a liquid. Like don't just give the tablet because if you radiograph a dog after giving a tablet, like it's just chilling there. It's not doing its job. It's just sitting in the stomach. So you definitely want to mix it with water and yeah. give it as a liquid, or you can buy the liquid and dispense that. Um, oh, the cherry liquid. Yeah. No animal ever likes ever. Okay, humans don't even like cherry flavored stuff. I know. Like it's it's so horrible. Well, it's I, just like the aluminum hydroxide that's mint flavored. And I'm like, yeah. And cats why? love that. <laughs> um, yeah, I just have I have a love-hate relationship with sucralfate. Um my coworkers get on me because like anytime it's like used in hospital, like they'll just pick on me and they're like, Oh, you gave sucralfate, didn't you? And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> like, Cause it's like all over, <laughs> like, it's like all over my scrubs. It's yeah. all over the cage. It's like, the dog I almost, is pink. Right. I almost <laughs> prefer, um, like using the tablet and then making, and then like letting it dissolve in water. Mm-hmm. Cause it's more concentrated than, than the, um, the liquid. Yeah. I Actually, like that too. too. It's like, cherry but I still make a mess. I like it. So yeah. Yeah. I make a mess literally every time, but I mean, I do the same with barium. Anything that I have to give orally, usually like I make a mess, like I can get nice. entice and the dog just drools like crazy. Good job. Well, but yeah, any- nobody likes the taste of entice. Have you tasted it? Oh my God. Uh, no. And I don't, I don't taste medications <laughs> if I don't have to. I don't make um, a habit of it. It's just like somehow for some reason I'm, well, I guess I don't have this problem anywhere anymore because I'm wearing a mask, but like for some, like somehow like stuff would always get face. in my mouth, <laughs> which I'm like, it's a wonder I've never had lepto. Like it's like, <laughs> I'm so safe from lepto right now. I can't put needles in my mouth. I can't get pee in my mouth. I don't get drugs in my mouth. It's been very good for my career. Um, safe, safety wise. Other than the fact that I'm still home every month. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, there's that. But yeah. anyway, <clears throat> I'm getting off topic here. Client communication is really big in these cases. <laughs> right. Because people are going to get frustrated. They're like, it's like test after test after test. If you can't always figure out like what is going on. And so like clients can get really frustrated when you're like, okay, well, we did blood work. Mm. Especially like we have a lot of those clients who are like, well, just take it step by step. And we're like, okay, no problem. But I'm like, okay, blood work was normal. Now, now it's time for radiographs. <laughs> now it's time for coags. Now it's time for ultrasound. Yeah. Now it's time for endoscopy. And they're like, but all of our tests are come back negative. And I'm like, well, that's good. I mean, I mean like ruling we're ruling out, out a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'll, I'll leave my soapbox alone there for a little bit. Cause we've talked about that a, a lot in several episodes, but you know, it's the tip of the week is also the same as several episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to check coags. Yeah. Literally like anytime there's bleeding where there shouldn't be bleeding. The dog has melanoma. Cool. Check coags. 
dog is vomiting blood cool check coags not sure well, where the blood yeah. from. cool check coags yeah it's definitely it's definitely a really good thing because um i don't know if i mentioned this at, at, in one of our episodes but like don't just assume because it's an old patient that you know oh it must be cancer because coags are off like I, or, or it's bleeding or something like that. So I had a 13 year old golden retriever come in with urinating blood and it had a hemo abdomen. And we were like, Oh God, it's a 13 year old golden retriever with a hemo abdomen. Well, then we did PT PTTs that were sky high. And we're like, any, is there any chance this dog got into rat bait? And they're like, Oh, well actually. And it turned out that it was a rat bait toxicity and not a 13 year old golden with a splenic mass that was bleeding. Cause that's what we assumed it was. Well, cause that's what everybody assumes. Right? <laughs> and we're like, Oh, okay. So, so don't just assume because of age and breed <laughs> that it's a certain particular disease. It can be, you know, something like rat bait too. So we're um, foreign body. We had a dog come in yeah. the other day with like known liver disease. And it wasn't doing well. And the dog had a foreign body. It was a 13 year old dog. And we're like, what 13 year old dog with liver disease is just going to eat. It was awful. They ate, the dog ate tampons. But nope. Mm-mm. And now for the question of the week. So I think our question of the week this week is, um, has there been a GI bleed case that you've been involved with that? you were surprised by like you were surprised by the reason or you know what the outcome was and and like what was it you know was it a that's a good one because I, I gotta say I think my like tongue string that's a good one yeah mine yeah. mine was also I mean the rat bait she also had GI bleeding so obviously yeah that's because cool. <laughs> when you have rat bait it bleeds everywhere um so I would say that would be mine so yeah, yeah that's a good one I like it. Well, let us know what you guys think. Um, again, thank you for recommending the podcast. Super cool of you guys. We hope that you guys are doing well. And uh, I think next week, what are we talking about next week? Because we have GI blood loss this week. Oh, <laughs> next week's going to be about constipation. Great. I'm so excited. I can talk about my cat next week. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what I've been dealing with for a while. So, yeah. Constipation <sighs> when the bowels don't move. Oh, God. I feel like I'm going to be a pro at that from both angles, both as a technician and as a pet owner. Yeah, definitely. So, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, anything else we need to talk about this week? Nope. I just hope everybody stays safe. Um, get your, keep getting your learn on. That's right. If you guys have cool like references too for GI stuff, let us know. I feel like references are always fun to shout out to Tamu and hopefully they're safe because they're closed right now because of their weird freak winter storm. And who knows when I can send GI panels out again, but like, Oh my gosh, man, I hope everybody in Texas is doing okay. Hang in there. It's so, speaking of that, which is really crazy, I, yeah, so much craziness happening with weather right now. Um, It's affecting us at work because we're not allowed to ship out anything. I know. IDEX IDEX sent us a thing on Friday and they're like, no, seriously, we strongly recommend you don't send anything to us right now. And I was like, 
Cause like we got an email and they're like, it's iffy still go ahead. And then like 10 minutes later, I got another email like, no, 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 you shouldn't. <laughs> wow. So. No, like FedEx, like, isn't even picking up for us right now, which oh, is really? crazy because there's no bad weather in California, but they're like, nope, we're not picking anything up. And I'm just like, okay. Oh, that's crazy. Like, I mean, we're still getting pickups and stuff like that, but yeah, IDEX doesn't want us to ship anything. Tamu is just closed. And so they're like, hold on to everything. And I was like, okay. So, so basically every day we have any sort of sample, we just call whatever lab. So of course the clients are getting like a little frustrated and I'm like, I can't control mother nature. And I'm sorry that global Which, warming is a thing. I, it's and, really <laughs> hard because like where we're at, like our weather is normal, yeah. but it's like where we're sending things, it's like apocalypse right now. Oh, I, I know. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but those people like have burst pipes and like, they don't care about your dog's TLI. I like I don't, <laughs> they don't have the ener- They don't have electricity right now. Sorry. Yeah. They can't even <laughs> run your test. Like, no. Aww. Like, it's not just like some blot paper that they could just be like, yep, it's 727. <laughs> right. I got a candle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, so. But at least for Tamu, you can save your sample in the freezer for, yes. what, a month? Yeah, I think so. Call yeah. them and be sure. Check on their website. I think they have it all up on their website yeah. now. I think there is yeah. some like sort of answering service for them right now because we've been calling and just like checking in and just seeing and yeah. they, they've given us specific instructions for how to when in doubt freeze it like yeah. it's just <laughs> yeah I know it's, it's hard because they're definitely our time sensitive tests right now that that we would send out but we're like we we can't even send them out so we we're not we're not even drawing this sample um yeah it's whoo hopefully you guys are all surviving yeah, I, Honestly, I hope everybody's staying safe and I hope everybody because we we do have people <laughs> that listen that are in these places um, please stay safe. Please stay warm. Please do not put yourself at risk to go to work. So, yeah, but some of the stories are crazy that I'm hearing. So, yeah, please stay safe. Please, um, you know, take care of yourselves. Take care of your coworkers. Be kind to each other. And um, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week. Yes, right. please. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.